The views and opinions expressed on the podcasting couch are solely those of the contributors and do not reflect those of our other guests, sponsors, or distributors. Appearances on this podcast should not be viewed as an endorsement of any other guest, past or future. Coming to you via the magic of the internet, it is episode 42 of The Podcasting Couch, a podcast in which I, your host, Chris Carlson, sit down with content creators and discuss their lives, inspirations, methodology, and anything else that may come up during the conversation. My guest this week is Stephen Bonnell, a.k.a. Destiny, a Twitch game streamer and occasional political debater on YouTube. This week, we discuss the early hurdles of streaming, how to structure your beliefs in evidence, debate tactics, and more. Music this week is provided by The Last Element. The song is called Not All Said and Done. We're going to listen to Not All Said and Done and then jump right into my conversation with Destiny. This is The Podcasting Couch. We'll be right back. Just begun. 
quite a bit ago, and I kind of want to talk about um, how you started streaming and kind of what were the the early hurdles that you experienced navigating that field that was, at the time, I think, probably a lot smaller than it is now. Sure. The first two, the, there were two huge hurdles, well, three, I guess, arguably, that I had to go through when I started streaming. Um, the, the first one is obviously whether or not it's financially viable. When I was working as a carpet cleaner, I started to get into streaming, and there, I kind of did it recreationally. I would stream a little bit after work and maybe a little bit on Sundays if I had time. And um, what happened was eventually I hopped around. You know, there's a lot of early stuff. I, I was on Ustream, um, Livestream, I think was actually the name of the site. And then eventually I got to Justin TV. When Justin TV decided they were going to start paying out people that streamed, I got my first paycheck from JTV for $200. And I just did some basic math. You know, I'd, I'd streamed a few hours during the week. Well, not a few hours, maybe like 10 or 20 during the week. And then I compared that to the massive amount of hours I was doing uh, carpet cleaning. And I realized that, hey, you know, if I just did the streaming stuff full time instead of the carpet cleaning stuff, I'd make more money streaming than carpet cleaning. So I quit that job and then I started streaming full time. So arguably that was my the first big hurdle was the financial viability, right? Which is probably the most important hurdle. Well, I guess depending on your life situation. It, for me, it was because I had, you know, a house and bills to pay and everything. The next two hurdles are kind of go hand in hand, or, or well, you have to confront both of them at the same time. One is the technology hurdle. The technology at the time was really, really, really bad. Oh my God, unbelievably bad. When you want to stream today, you download a single program and you push stream. And, you know, after entering a few basic settings, pretty much everything works just without really thinking about it much. Back a long time ago, um, if there are any people that streamed a long time ago, they'll remember some of these names. We had this abomination of a program called Flash Media Live Encoder. And you had to plug in, you had to go and download a separate encoder for it. You had to download a program to capture your screen. I think I used like a trial version of Cam Studio or Camtasia or something. Um, you had to get virtual audio cables to, to route your audio and stuff. It was a nightmare. Getting all of this stuff set up, was it was impossibly complicated. It was so complicated to do all of this. Um, but, you know, you, 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 I figured it out, I guess, because I was willing to sit there and put the time in. You know, And the hardest part about all of this, too, is that today, if you have a software problem, you know, well, you ask a friend or you Google or you ask, like, the tech guy in your group or something, you know. Um, back in the day, there, there, you didn't have that. Nobody knew what any of this software did. Your, your experts were non-existent. You know, there wasn't a forum you could go to to post, you know, how do I, you know, my webcam's not being picked up or is this compatible with this? You just, you basically were completely on your own. You were troubleshooting things, trial and error. Um, the, the encoder that I was using, the, uh, I think it was an, some X360 encoder was like a, it was, it was like a Japanese download. I don't remember how or why we came to be using this, but it, people were saying like, this is like your best quality encoder right now. It, it wasn't even H.264 actually. It was like a VP6 or VP9. I don't even remember these archaic standards. Um, but yeah, it was like, um, you, you downloaded it off of the site and everything was in Japanese and like reading. It was just, it was ridiculous. You were toggling settings. You didn't know what anything did. And then on top of this, you were literally capped at like 300 to 500 kilobits per second of data that, that you could broadcast at. So you had like no bandwidth availability. Um, the technology, the software side of things was horrible. The hardware was horrible. You know, I was streaming on an E6750. This is a duo core processor. This is ancient history stuff. Um, you know, we didn't have quad cores. Well, I think maybe the Q6600s might have been out back then, but they were brand new, real expensive. Um, but we didn't have all these super awesome quad cores with hyper threading and the, the Sandy Bridge, the Ivy Bridge, the, the Haswell chips and all this new stuff, you know, the uh, KB Lake and everything that's like so much more powerful, you know, these eight core or, or now I think I have an 18 core um, processor for my streaming computer. This stuff didn't exist either. So the tech hurdle was really hard. And then um, for me personally, I didn't have very many friends on the inside, so I was kind of always operating on the outside, and that was a challenge that I had to overcome as well. I didn't really have people that would help me 
um, you know, kind of market myself or give me good placement on, you know, websites to advertise my stream or anything. So this is all stuff that I kind of had to figure out on my own too, which has been an awesome learning process and growth process and probably contributed to my longevity quite a bit. Right. And, and so, um, moving from, so, so you, you were, uh, I, I believe if I remember correctly, you, you were, uh, streaming a lot of, it was like Starcraft and stuff like that back in the day. Um, and, and so what was the, I, I mean, this is kind of covering a, a huge swath of time, I suppose, in, in the scheme of things, but what was the, the shift towards, um, talking about more like, uh, just, just sort of the, uh, educational topics, I guess, and things like that rather, rather than just, uh, streaming games. Um, so what was that? Growing up, um, so growing up, I guess I always had this, um, I've, my, I, my, development of ideas has always been a pretty combative process so what i mean by that is if i have an idea i'm i always want to argue it with everybody to make sure that my idea is the rightest possible idea it can be and i went to so i went to catholic grade school and then i went to a catholic jesuit high school and one of my big transitionary things in my life was moving from catholicism to atheism when i was around 15 16 years old and, you know, along with that, you know, all these different views of politics, of the, of the economy, of ethics, of religion, these were all ideas that were, you know, in, in radical change in my mind, you know, very, very um, in flux, I guess you would say. And, you know, any, anytime I had a new idea or a new thought on something, I would always want to argue it with other people. And I was always surrounded by pretty intelligent people, you know, going to private high school, uh, you know, all the people were fairly intelligent there. So I had a lot of people to kind of um, grind those ideas against to, to make sure that, you know, I was doing as good a job as I could be at forming ideas that they would stand up to the arguments of other people. So growing up, I've always just kind of had that mentality. And um, I have a lot of varied interests. I'm interested in a lot of stuff, anything related to science. I'm, I'm interested in, you know, quirky physics things, nothing that's too complicated for the layman to understand or things about biology or medicine or philosophy or art. You know, I, I was a music major in college. All of these things are interesting to me. So for the entire duration of my stream, We've always talked about these kinds of topics, maybe not as in-depth, well, definitely not as in-depth as I do now, but even if you started watching me in, in 20, 2011 or late, mid, mid, late 2010 or early 2011, even if you started watching me back when I began, you know, every now and then on stream, a more serious topic would always come up, whether it had to do with relationships or some life experience or, I don't know, just something more serious than gaming. So how, how did, um, I, I'm trying to think of the, the, the wording for the, the question that I'm trying to ask here, uh, and maybe I should write these out a little bit more. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I know you'd, you'd mentioned before that like, uh, around like the, the 2016 election is when, when the hardcore shift started. But, but before that, you'd mentioned that like your, your ideology had, had shifted quite a bit. And I, I, I find that, um, to be pretty common anymore. Um, I think, you know, I, I've heard it said, that you know the 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 modern day Democratic Party is in a lot of ways very reminiscent of the Republican Party from forty fifty years ago, um, and and I think a, a lot of people you see coming uh, coming from maybe not necessarily the the Republican side of things over to the Democratic side of things, but more like this this sort of shift from like people who actually have uh, a a a, a actual root in their political beliefs be it conservatism or things like that kind of finding and you've mentioned this before that they don't really have a home anymore in say the republican party um and, and so i'm kind of curious how how your uh shift was there yeah so um 
I guess just to speak um, quickly to that last thing, right? Liberal versus conservative. And when I use liberal, I'm using it in the American sense of, of left-leaning person, not somebody who's a classical liberal. Or, um, <laughs> and, and then left-leaning is in like Democrat, not somebody left who's like a communist or socialist. But like this liberal versus conservative thing is not necessarily borne out anymore in the Democrat versus Republican thing because the Republican Party has just gone off the deep end um, in, in terms of like just fantastical ideas, you know? Um, something that I think you're referencing that I've said before is that I believe that there is a place for debating conservative ideas, you know, the idea of conservating the, the, the powers of the state in a lot of different ways, whether it's welfare, immigration, um, you, you know, fis everything fiscal related, you know, um, I, I think that you can have these conversations. It's just not with the Republican because Republicans are just, I don't even, it, they're just, it's, they're crazy. Like the, I can't have a conversation with somebody that doesn't believe in like global warming or that thinks that like evolution, you know, shouldn't be taught in schools or that is anti-contraception, you know, with teenagers. Like I, I can't have conversations with people that don't want to acknowledge empirical realities. You know, uh, you say you're anti-abortion, for instance, but you want to make it so that kids, you know, aren't allowed to have any access to con a contraception, which is the easiest way to reduce, you know, abortions and teenage pregnancy. Like how, how can you have these two positions or say you, you believe in the fiscal conservation of the state, you want to limit budgets and whatnot of the government, but at the same time, you want to expand the military past anything we've ever had before. How do you hold these two ideas? So there, there, I think there is a place to debate conservative ideas, it just not, not with Republicans. <laughs> um, yeah, not with Republicans, unfortunately. Um, and then the, uh, the, the first part of your question, I think, was asking about my shift. Yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah sorry. right. Um, yeah, so... For me personally, honestly, uh, and this kind of scares me to say this, but I ironed out a decent amount of my core philosophy probably in my late teens, as embarrassing as that is to sound, like the, the very, very core parts of it. So, and I would say like the most fundamental core part of it is, is generally like the, the golden rule, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. So basically the way that my moral system works is, you know, as long as you are willing to reciprocate some value, I will respect that value in you. So I don't kill others because I don't want to be killed. And I, I want others to not want me to be killed because they don't want to be killed. You know, it's a really basic way of kind of reading that. And all of my kind of, um, all of my values stem from there. And that's been pretty consistent for the past, you know, 10 years of my life. Um, my political shift started to happen when I started to realize that the people on my side that were agreeing with my arguments didn't actually agree with my arguments. They only did in a very superficial sense. So as an example of this, you can find this type of hypocrisy pretty common amongst all people, really, not just people on the right. But people on the, people on the right might say something like, um, we should be allowed to say whatever offensive words we want. Nobody you know, should let somebody's words dictate how they feel. Everybody should be able to laugh at themselves. Everybody should be able to joke at themselves. And, and I agree with that. I, I actually I still, even though I don't necessarily preach this anymore, as part of my core philosophy, I really do agree with that. I really think that's true. However, most people that say that's true only say that because nobody's saying mean things about them. And when I noticed this hypocrisy, it caused me to dramatically shift my pragmatic implementation of, of kind of like this, um, I guess you would say like the, the difference between a, a meta ethic versus an applied ethic, where, you know, I, I might believe this now, but I realize that most people don't function like this. So you, you kind of have to change your pragmatic approach to things. So like as an example of this, you know, gamers might say everybody should be able to joke with themselves, but there are a couple of popular Jimmy Kimmel skits on YouTube making fun of people that watch video game streams. You have never seen a more upset crowd of people than gamers watching these videos. These things got some of the most thumbs down in like the history of YouTube videos, and it's full of gamers that are just incredibly angry about people making fun of gamers, you know? <laughs> and this happens pretty often. Anytime somebody makes fun of nerd culture or makes fun of gamers, gamers are the first people to have this insane outcry 
And you know that always struck me as hypocritical. You know, I'm a gamer. I can make fun of gamers. You know, I you know there's a lot of different things to laugh at ourselves about. And I agree with that. I or you know I thought that was part of our core philosophy that we should be able to laugh at ourselves. But I don't think a lot of people actually believe that. They just say it to other people so that they can laugh at them, but they never think about when it when it's actually turned on to them. Um, for another example of this, right? Like um, when when people talk to minority figures, for instance, black people, women, um, Asians, or whatever, you know, white people often say things like, "It doesn't matter what the gender or race of a character is in any given movie or video game. You know, you should be able to identify with anybody. Why does this matter so much to you?" This is something that I genuinely believe in. I really do. If I'm watching a, a movie with a female lead character or some minority figure. I can identify with whoever. I love Kill Bill. I loved Alien. Um, I love a lot of JRPGs that have generally not female main characters. Well, some do. You know, the Nier games do. Parasite Eve did. Um, but yeah, you know, if they have female lead characters or if they're Asian or whatever, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. But a lot of people feel very differently. You know, we had some stuff going on with the Subnautica community um, recently where they were talking about putting in a female character. And there are a lot of people that are upset by this or when you find out that Tracer might be a lesbian, you know, a lot of people are really upset. Like, why does she have to be gay? You know? I don't know, why does anybody have to be gay? Um, and it made me feel like everybody on my side were just massive hypocrites. So, um, yeah, I, you know, that and then just a couple other kind of life experiences made me change the way that I look to kind of pragmatically implement things into my daily life, you know? You know, you could say certain words and you can say, you know, I don't think these should have any impact on anybody, which is my core belief, but that doesn't change the reality that they do have an impact on people, whether you like it or not. And as a public person, I feel like it's kind of my responsibility to look at the um, perception of some of the messages that I send out there. I think that's part of my responsibility. So I, I try to be a little bit more cautious or a little bit more responsible with the way that I handle my messaging. I I, I can really um <clears throat> excuse me, I can I can relate to that a lot. I, I uh you know I was thinking about um I, I had heard you the other day talk I mean you've talked about this quite a few times about uh responsible platforming and things like that. Um because, you know, on, on this show, I've had some, uh, a couple times where I've had to go, well, is this really the right kind of thing to, uh, get out there? As an example, um, a, a previous episode, we had, uh, this guy named Joshua Shea on, and he is a, uh, a, a, an advocate for pornography addiction. And his advocacy started because his addiction had led to him going onto campsites. And, and, and convincing girls to take off their clothes. And one of those girls ended up being underage and he got busted for that and went to jail. Um, and then when he got out, he wrote a book and, and, and started talking about this kind of thing. And, and, you know, that was a, that was a difficult decision to make, um, to decide if, if that was necessarily the, the right thing to have someone like that on the show. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, I decided, well, it, it is a, it, it's a, I believe it's a serious issue. Um, and, you know, not every messenger is going to be perfect. And of course, you know, we got that out of the way at the very beginning of the show. Uh, the very beginning of that episode, we talked about what had happened and the events that led up to that and, and then, uh, kind of moved on from there, sort of acknowledged it and then moved forward. Um, and, and so I, I can, I can understand that. Um, I, I can relate to that sort of idea of like what, what is the responsible way to, to communicate with people and how necessarily y you can't exactly just assume that everybody's on the same wavelength, uh, that you're on. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so I, I, I kind of wanted to, to shift over a little bit into, uh, something that I, I, I how I kind of came across your streams, um, and, and something that I'm kind of bummed out seems to be dying down a little bit. And that is, um, cause I think that you have, uh, pissed them all off enough that they don't want to talk to you anymore 
Um, and that is how you got into like the, uh, I, I don't want to call them the, the skeptics of YouTube. I think that they're, as far as I'm concerned, pretty much alt-right, uh, anymore. Um, the, the centrist kind of thing. Um, how you got into, uh, uh, debating those people and, and sort of what your experience was there. So a lot of people have this misconception of me that I have a certain political agenda to push or that I, you know, lean a certain way politically and I want more people to think that way politically. But I'm, I say this a lot. I don't know how many people believe it. That's actually not really my primary goal at all. You know, in some secondary tangential sense, I guess I want more people to think like me in terms of have the same conclusions as me. But what I'm really interested in is the, the formation of thoughts and the seeking of, you know, things that are true. Um, it, it sounds a little tip-tippy, but basically the problem that I have is that I notice that a lot of people are incapable of constructing arguments that lack both internal consistency and that are ill, um, kind of uh, ill-sourced, that, that, that don't really have any um, reality-based thought to them. Um, you know, so for example, somebody might say something like, um, uh, say for instance, you know, uh, we're, we're missing manufacturing jobs in the U.S., we need to bring back manufacturing to the U.S., therefore we'll have more jobs, right? This, this would be like, um, like, a, like a really basic three-part syllogism, premise, premise, conclusion. So even this argument, if we assume that both premises are to be true, is internally inconsistent because bringing back more jobs to the United States won't, um, you know, won't create more jobs. Actually, that actually, I'm sorry, that isn't internally consistent. The premises would be unsound there. I'm sorry. But like, um, th this would be like one example of, um, of an argument where, you know, like people assume these things and then they argue for them. You know, like if we bring back all the manufacturing to the United States, um, maybe we can, um, maybe we can bring all the manufacturing jobs back. But if, but if you go and you look at like any of the data, well, okay, even in China, the, the lowest level of workers are losing their jobs to automation. We still have manufacturing in the U.S. and new plants are being opened up in the U.S., but all of those jobs are being automated. That there's no way that we could ever bring back jobs, you know, to the U.S. and, and have them be, uh, you know, automated, like, it, or, or have them not be automated. You know, those people that lost their jobs have always lost their jobs. So we need to look at different solutions. Um, this is like one example out of like a million different arguments. And I could think of some invalid ones, some lack of internal, but I don't know if I can do it off the top of my head. There's like a ton of arguments where people just put together these really absurd arguments that don't have any, um, that are, that are just totally just baseless. Like the, the, the empirical data doesn't back up any of what they say. Um, oftentimes the arguments themselves are structured in ridiculous ways. Um, you, you know, it's just, um, yeah. So, so my goal in getting into arguing has always been like, well, hey, like let's look at a better way to structure this argument so that it's logically valid. And then, you know, let's dig into some of the data here so we can make sure that our premises are all sound. Um, and then we could actually argue, but then, then we can have real arguments, you know, in terms of all of the, the quote unquote debating that I've done, I haven't even really gotten to do, I don't know if I've done a single real debate. Well, no, I have with a couple people very, very rarely though, do I get into a debate where both of us understand, you know, some level of empirical data and, and have our arguments formed where we can go back and forth with each other. Generally, it's just disagreeing over empirical reality, which is very difficult for me. It's very difficult to have a conversation with somebody that refuses to cite a source that doesn't have an understanding of the empirical reality. Um, because we're kind of just arguing you know their fantasy world their faith-driven beliefs versus my you know fact-based beliefs i can't even get into what i think should be done because we don't even agree on what is it, it feels like i'm back in high school arguing with um with, with religious people and i'm an atheist and i can't there's nothing really i can say you know if you're talking about well, everything in the bible is true it's like okay i mean i guess you're kind of begging the question then like you 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 win i guess yeah, that's what you want to believe you know right right um and, and so i know like for instance one of the ones that I, I had I had hopes for for a couple of those people. It seemed like uh, they were kind of starting to to shift towards more of understanding that that sort of idea of 
you need to be logically consistent um and things like that and then it it sort of shifted away again um and and it's it's a shame to to see uh how ingrained people seem to be in in their beliefs i think it's it's really hard for people to to admit that they're wrong about something i think a lot of people don't want to do that mm-hmm. um i can say anecdotally in my life you know my uh my family a lot of them are kind of soft right um they were the the kind of people who were who were so anti-hillary that their logical answer was therefore trump um who i i don't think had they been presented with you know uh, even someone like as as much as i don't like him either even someone like a a Mitt Romney or someone with some sort of sense of like uh like um some sort of sense of i guess not not necessarily i don't want to say class is not the word i'm looking for but like uh general good demeanor i suppose uh carry themselves in a good way i think that they would have never gravitated towards a trump i think i i like to hope um but you know trying to get into into debates with these people as well who say these same things like oh well you know uh Russia, for instance, they, they talk about the, the 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 whole Russia thing is a conspiracy and it's not real. But we need to talk about Benghazi and or uranium well, one or pizza. Oh my or god, Seth Rich, yeah, yeah, yeah. I so it, it it I I totally get what you mean. There, where it's like, how do you engage with people who, at a base level, have not come to basic conclusion? What what we like to think are basic conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because oftentimes and, and, their conclusions are natural extensions of their irrational conspiracies, right? I would want Trump in the off- in the White House. I would hate the Democrats, too, if I thought that Hillary, like, literally murdered Seth Rich or were raping kids in a pizza parlor basement or, you know, we're selling all of our uranium to Russia or, you know, like, I mean, yeah, if these things, if I believe these were true, I would be, you know, be a staunch Republican as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and like, I, I've always told, I, I've tried to tell all my family members because they're, I think a, a lot of people get into this idea of this one or the other and that's it mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, you know, where I, I had to say, because I push back on things about Trump, uh, doesn't mean that I was like, cause they're like, oh, so you think you, you like Hillary then? You want Hillary to be president? Well, well, fuck no, I don't want Hillary to be president, but she's the choice. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was a big Bernie guy. And, and once he lost, I was like, all right, well, suck it up and go vote for Hillary. Even though, you know, in somewhere like here in Idaho, it doesn't really make much of a difference, uh, one way or the other. It's obvious who is going to win the state. I still, you know, held my nose and went and voted for Hillary because even though I wasn't a big fan of her politics or her, uh, her, her sort of wishy washiness about anything, um, she was the obvious choice between the two. Um, but then that brings up like a whole different group of people, the ones who, uh, the, the kind of the, the purity politics people as well, who said, well, I couldn't get behind Hillary and I didn't want Trump to win. So I voted for third party, Gary Johnson yeah. or fucking Jill Stein. Like, yeah, that did a lot of good. You really showed him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's frustrating. Um, so I wanted to ask you if you have any kind of like, um, any sort of background in, in like debating or anything like that, because it, it seems like, uh, you know, I took debate in uh, all four years of high school, um, which I think I, I really appreciate. I'm glad that I decided to take those classes. Um, uh, it helped with a lot, like with uh, public speaking and things like that. And, and you seem to really have like a good grasp on 
these kind of concepts. And I'm wondering if you have any kind of background in that or if you just picked it up over time or, or what the story is behind that. No, I wish I had, but um, I was a pretty bad student. Um, I for somehow I got through all a bunch of AP classes and everything, but I was really lazy. So I I was just I was just lucky enough that um I, I guess growing up playing video games in my day we had to read a lot. Um, I, I say that because like today all the voice um or all the video games tend to be voice acted, but back mm-hmm. when I was growing up, all the JRPGs and everything you're playing, you know, aside from a very few, maybe like Metal Gear Solid, you know, most of them you had to read a ton. You had to read so much stuff. Final Fantasy seven, eight, nine. Um, you'd, and even 10 had a lot of reading because not everything was voice acted. So my reading was very good. So I was able to pick up a lot via reading. So I, that's kind of how I floated through school. But um, I never took any like formal debate or, or formal public speaking or anything like that. Although I did do a lot of, like I said, kind of debating in high school about ideas and whatnot. But I would say that most of it I, I've probably learned on stream. And if you've watched my stuff for a long time, if you compare my conversations two years ago to what I do today, you know, I'm much more structured, more rigid in, in my approach and may, way better at keeping my cool during a lot of these conversations. <laughs> so um uh what what else what else did I want to uh talk about here? I don't uh starting to hit that point. <laughs> I don't know. I I can I guess uh I'll say that I can relate to that idea of a bad student though. I mean, I took a lot of uh a lot of those classes as well and and I kind of somehow skated through. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know how. I know I can point to a couple classes that had, and this is going to sound very like, oh, look at me, uh, very full of myself kind of thing. Um, there's no other way to tell the story of, uh, um, I had a math teacher I remember in high school, uh, and, and he, he brings me in one day and he says, hey, why, why are you failing my class when you're getting hundreds on all the tests? Because like, I don't do the homework. And he goes, yeah, that's right. So why don't you do the homework? Because it's wasting my fucking time. Like, obviously I know the subjects. Why am I going to do the homework? And he said, that, that's a fair point. Uh, so, Whatever grade you get on the final is the grade that you're going to get in the class. And uh, I thank him for passing me, but that was a terrible thing to tell a kid. Um, There's a terrible way to set up a work ethic of any kind. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I can relate to that kind of just skating by. Um, I know now I have to kind of try to buckle down sometimes uh, with a lot of this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to talk about um, how you're kind of handling, and this I think, hopefully by the time this comes out will be kind of older news um but you know you got uh i I, you got banned from twitter um recently uh and so what what is your have you seen any kind of effects from that um or or as far as like your stream goes or or getting your your name i know you already are pretty established but uh expanding your audience um have you noticed any kind of effect from that um, it's hard to notice because I don't keep track of figures as much as I should. But yeah, being unable to tweet out stuff is a, it's pretty detrimental, especially if something special is going on. I want to be able to have a way to alert everybody, um, and I I don't have that at the moment. It also impacts my ability to reach out to sponsors because social media is a really important part of your uh, ability to market. So I mean, uh, it's been pretty detrimental. It's a pretty bad thing that I lost that Twitter. Yeah, it's uh, I I can't imagine. Um, it's it's uh, you know I I think. I'm still trying to navigate that personally as far as the, the marketing side of things goes, um, with, with trying to, uh, engage with, with the audience, for instance, you know, with the, with the podcast medium, there's not, uh, there's not a, I don't know how it's been around for so long and there's still no built in like audience engagement. There's still no real 
like reliable way to get good metrics built into the medium. I think Apple's starting to kind of shift that. Mm-hmm. They've recently started changing their analytics and things like that uh, that they give to uh, creators. But somehow, despite the fact that podcasting has been around for what uh, over a decade now, yeah. um, there's still like it's still very it, it feels very cottage industry, I guess. Um, in that, you know, you, you've got like the same ways of advertising that there's always been. And it's just, uh, the three affiliate links. If you listen to any number of podcasts, you'd be able to laugh about how many times you've heard, uh, Oh, audible brought on this show or Squarespace brought on the show (laughs) because that seems to be the only way to monetize, uh, this medium, Mm -hmm. um, which is kind of frustrating. Um, but even so, so even having something like just social media taken away, I think, you know, cause that is the main way to get your show out there to people and in front of people is social media to, to lose that. I can't imagine, um, so how, how that would, uh, hit somebody who is trying to grow an audience. Yeah, for sure. It's incredibly detrimental. Yeah. So ha- have you noticed, um, cause I know that you have been growing, I, I think over like the last year or so, your, your YouTube presence, mm-hmm. um, compared to what you've been focusing on before with Twitch. Um, and I'm curious what your experience has been as far as the difference in, um, in like audience engagement in those two, uh, mediums. If, if you see any kind of noticeable difference in like the kind of people who are coming to those two different, uh, mediums, I guess. It's hard to compare the two. I have very good engagement in terms of, um, or, or rather, I should say I have very good in interaction with my stream audience, so I can tell you a lot. I can describe those people quite a bit. With my YouTube audience, it's much more difficult to do that because I don't usually hang out in the comment section. They're not very conducive to good conversations just because of the way the, the <laughs> conversations are threaded and everything. Um, and mm-hmm. then also, it's like it's so prone to brigading. Like If I debate somebody that's really popular, all of their fans will come onto my videos and upvote all of their comments and everything, and it's, there's a lot of trolls and just dumb stuff. So it's really difficult to... Um, to get a good gauge on like what my YouTube audience is like, you know, I, I imagine to some extent they're probably similar to my stream audience, but. So in regards to that, um, that the, the sort of idea of, uh, audience brigading and things like that. Um, I, I, I want to know, uh, how, how do I, how do I phrase this? This is, I'm going to say not the best, <laughs> not the best episode that I've done. It's still, uh, my morning. Um, sure. And so I'm still a little bit wishy-washy on a lot of this. Um, but I guess kind of what, what, um, has, has your experience been with that sort of engaging with these more, um, base level kind of people who, who, who don't, like you said, structure their arguments in kind of a reality based world. Um, after you debate it, and obviously now that Twitter's gone, it's kind of, uh, moot to talk about but sort of what the engagement was in that um because i've seen you push back on a lot of the uh the fans on like twitter and places like that who kind of come at you with uh not very accurate uh attacks and kind of what what your experience was with trying to push back on that kind of thing um very 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 bad um I guess like the way that I would say this is ironically enough, I would flip it. Usually um, people on the right will often say, you know, my, my, my facts versus your feels or my reels versus your feels, you know, 
liberals mm-hmm. are all feels and because but it's very much the other way around and because all of their arguments are so emotionally staked and so rooted in, in kind of this irrationality i think it empowers their fans to attack me in ways that are just absolutely insane <coughs> uh, sorry um Basically, when I argue with people on the right, I almost exclusively am just uh, ad hominem and defamed, like, just exclusively. I-, I notice that if you go onto any forum and you find people that really don't like me, oftentimes you'll see the same repeated claims. Oftentimes they're just totally fabricated. You know, I, you know, I try to, like, have sex with minors or I'm a pedophile or you know, just, like, really crazy, really insane ad homs, you know? Um, and they never really seem interested in engaging with the subject matter at all. You know, even when there are debates that I have where I very clearly trounce the other person because they're totally clueless, you know, people will make fun of me for researching too much or they'll make fun of me for, you know, they'll say like, Destiny's using note cards, it's not fair, or Destiny trapped everybody that he talked to ever, you know, just like these really bizarre kind of claims. It's never, ever an engagement with any of the actual empirical data or any of the, um, you know, normative claims I've put out, it's always baseless arguments, you know? I wouldn't care if it was the former, you know? If I go onto Twitter and a bunch of people are tweeting at me, it's like, Destiny, you said that um, you said that immigration was this. Well, actually, if you look at the fiscal data from the state of California, you were totally wrong about it. It's like, that's fine. I totally welcome that because I can change my, uh, my, my thoughts, you know? If people show me that I'm wrong about something, I'll change my idea because I want to be right. I'm interested in what is true. But instead, it's oftentimes like after I get into a big debate, you know, I'll hop on Twitter and they're like, oh, Destiny, isn't he that guy that wanted to kill a family because their kid beat him in a League of Legends game? And it's like, okay, I can't really engage with this. There's not really much here for me to work with. And then the um, the viciousness on, on that side of the political aisle when it comes to witch hunting is insane. I'm in a relatively unique position that I've been witch hunted by both the extreme left and the extreme right. When the extreme left did it, they were very much, you know, I want to go after your sponsors and your sponsor sponsors and I want to destroy your, you know, your financial life. When the right does it, you know, I've got people posting that they literally think it would be hilarious if I got swatted and my kid got shot and killed, you know, and they'll be posting my address and trying to find information about my family. Like these people are insane. Um, yeah, I, I really don't like that, <laughs> um, which you should go without saying. But yeah, I, I don't like it for a number of reasons. I, I, I can't imagine why. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh I think one thing that I, I really appreciate about your content, and it's something that's kind of helped uh me as well, is um you know, I I've always kind of thought about sort of hosting more of, of these kind of alt right people on the show and um these people like uh like the the Sargons and shit like that even. Um and, and listening to their content a lot of the times before I I'd, I'd found that I'm like trying to find holes in their arguments and, and a lot of times I think um, one of the reasons that a lot of the left don't necessarily engage with those kind of people is because they are trying to debate the, the sort of straw man points that are brought up, which are is insanely difficult to do. Um, you know, if you, if you just take a, a, a Sargon clip, for instance, at face value, you know, yeah, it's very hard to argue, uh, that some, blue-haired feminist on tumblr is wrong Mm -hmm. and and you're trying to take the opposite saying well actually they're right it's hard to do that because you can't really defend that extremism either but uh kind of trying to reframe it to well we're not really talking about the extremists we should talk about the actual people behind these movements um but it seems like they're often not interested in engaging in that kind of a debate of course oh my gosh um, feminism offers a lot of very valid critique of, of patriarchy theory or, or, or of current modern day society. Whether you agree or disagree with it, it's worth engaging with. 
And um, it's very clear that people that criticize feminism the most are just totally clu clueless. Their, their idea of feminism is an article that they read on Salon or, or rather, you know, a crazy person they saw posted to Breitbart or The Daily Caller. And, you, you know, the super ironic thing is that a lot of people on, I don't like to say on the right, but a lot of people in this political area, when they bring out their very harsh critiques of feminism, they're actually using feminist critique sometimes to do it. And they don't even realize it. For instance, I saw Sargon post a video once where he was saying, you know, if feminists really cared about people, why don't they ever talk about men that have to repress all of their emotion or men that have to go do military stuff and combat stuff and how men are always, you know, the ones that have to go fight and die? Well, actually, very core part of feminist theory is critiquing patriarchy and critiquing the idea that men have to be these cold emotionless monsters and feminism does address the idea that you know men are kind of fucked in society emotionally it's actually like one of the a really important part of feminist theory you know whether you agree <laughs> or disagree with it like if you're going to engage with it you, you have to be ready to engage with the actual ideas being stated not with some insane you know you know huge woman with purple hair that is screeching you know rolling around on you know some private college campus you know outside like it's just a waste of time to deal with these straw men. You're not convincing anybody of anything. You're just circle jerking to an audience about a topic that you don't even understand. Well, I think then the problem that, that, that comes from that even is if you do engage in something like that, you say like, well, yeah, that's, that's feminist. Like you said, that's feminist theory right there that they, they are kind of in a, in a roundabout sort of way. Also men's rights activists. If, if you really want to get to the core of those two arguments, um, then, then a lot of times you find that the, the, the goalposts get shifted to, oh, these women are trying to change how men behave and they want, they want men to do whatever they want them to do. And it's like, well, oh, yeah. That's what we were just talking yeah. about two seconds yeah, ago. Yeah. You'll hear somebody on one hand say, you know, like, oh, well, you want men to be cold, emotionless murderers and you don't want to talk about that. And then in the next breath, they'll go, oh, you want to pussify all men and make all of them into sissies. And it's like, okay. Yeah. It's, it's interesting it's, dichotomy. It's, yeah, so it, it is, I think it is a little bit difficult to, to shift the topic, uh, properly. And that's why I'm very happy that I've been able to find, um, and, and it's becoming increasingly difficult. And maybe this is my bias showing, but it, it is, uh, I've been able to find a few, like, right wing shows, for instance, that, that are based in, in actual, like, data and, and making arguments that, that are, you know, uh, factually sound. And I've been able to have on, for instance, um, I've been able to have on shows, a show in the past that we had an hour long debate over whether or not universal health care was a good thing or not, or whether we should switch to an even more free market solution. Um, and, you know, we had an hour engagement in that kind of topic, bringing up actual like points of data mm -hmm. and not, not just like, oh, well, uh, you know, my socialism or something like that. Yeah. Um, and we had actual conversation, but I think that it, it's becoming increasingly difficult. As things get more, uh, more, more polarized to find those voices on the right. I think it's, it's much easier to come across, say, like a, a Rush Limbaugh or, or a Glenn Beck than it is somebody who's, you know, like a, a Chris Wallace or a Shep Smith. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, but that, that again is, is where I'm, I'm kind of trying to navigate personally whether or not I'm letting my biases affect that kind of thing. If if someone is making an actual argument, or if I'm discounting them solely on on Political my personal, yeah, exactly. So it's I don't know. It's it's difficult to figure that out because that is something that I think that I'd like to shift the show towards more of is more engaging in in these these ideas that I disagree with because I don't want the show to be an echo chamber and, and sort of a circle jerk the whole time. Um, but I also don't want to bring on you know people who are going to argue in bad faith or or 
are not equipped to have an actual conversation about the topics that we're talking about. Yeah, and it's a difficult one, you know, and people ask me sometimes, and I feel bad answering, you know, people will say like, uh, can you name any right-leaning people that you've had a good argument with? And when I can't do that, it, I, I, you know, I, I have to do a lot of introspection because I am very humble, you know, I realize there's so much that I don't know, you know, I know enough to know. If I've learned anything, it's that I know very little, you know, and, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very much aware of that. And I have to stop every now and then where it's like, you know, okay, well, I feel like I've debated so many people on the right that are so ill-equipped to do anything. Um, and, you know, I have to constantly do these introspective checks to make sure I'm not the one that's being disillusioned or I'm not the one that's like totally hopeless and, you know, lost in their own biases. So, Right, exactly. And and the 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 even going to that idea of is there any right-leaning people that you've had a good the, – the debate was with uh, – um, a libertarian, not even a, okay. a right winger, somebody who had, uh, which I, I have my own, uh, kind of some biases towards libertarians as well, but, uh, that's a topic for another, um, another day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to sit here and shit on somebody who's not here to defend themselves. That'd be incredibly rude. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not about that, but, uh, yeah, I think, um, we're hitting about 42 minutes in now. Um, so I think now is as good a place as any to kind of start wrapping things up. Um, and so the last thing that I always have guests do is um, let the audience know, you know, if they like what they've heard, if they want to hear more uh, from you or want to reach out or anything like that, how they would go about doing those things. Um, I mean, if you go to my website at destiny.gg, all of my social media links and everything are at the top. Yeah, if you're ever looking to find me, you'll find all my stuff there. I've got a subreddit that is pretty active. Um, the name of the subreddit is just destiny. So, yeah, if you're ever looking to find me, those are the two places, the easiest places to kind of look at all my stuff. Right on. And those links will also be in the show notes for this episode as well. Uh, not the most complicated ones, so shouldn't be needed, but we still put them there. Um, so I want to thank you again for uh, taking time out of your day to come onto the show. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation and hope that you did as well. Yeah, I appreciate you for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. That does it for this week's episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on whatever app you are using to listen so you don't miss a single episode. If you like anything you've heard today, links, as always, are in the show notes. If you have someone you'd like to hear on the show, email us at suggestions at thepodcastingcouch.com and we'll reach out. The Podcasting Couch is executive produced by Sirenicide and Max Cannon and is completely listener-funded. To contribute to the show and help us bring you new shows every week, visit www.patreon.com slash thepodcastingcouch or click the support tab on thepodcastingcouch.com and become a producer. As always, this is The Podcasting Couch. I'm Chris Carlson. Be decent.